Welcome back, everybody, to this week's episode of the Sports Gospel Podcast. We're happy to have you with us. And as we like to remind people who are new to the show, we're a little bit different than your average sports talk show. We're not going to drive the same topics into the ground, so you're not going to hear us talk about the plight of the Green Bay Packers and Aaron Rodgers like you've heard for 13 hours on your terrestrial radio. We like to talk about the positive side of sports and have a little bit of fun with a lot of different topics. And this week's show, we're really going to focus on college sports. Uh, One of the things that we do here, Darren and Shannon with you, Kevin with us in spirit, unless he randomly pops up midway through this show. We're going to do some college wrestling and college football talk this week. Maybe college basketball, depending on what our timeline looks like. We try to stick to a tight hour. And then uh, we have some NASCAR trophies to hand out here to get Shannon's thoughts on that. So before we get into the college wrestling, a quick look at the college football landscape after a seismic shift this last weekend, Clemson getting destroyed, LSU stunning Alabama, Georgia putting the hammer on Tennessee. So we have our second batch of college football playoff ratings, uh, rankings that were released this week, Georgia one, Ohio State two, Michigan three, TCU four, Tennessee five, Oregon six, LSU seven, and USC eight. Alabama 9, Clemson 10. So I think those are probably your contending teams, maybe if you really feel good about Ole Miss or UCLA down there at 11 and 12. But as you look at the top 12 or top 10 in the rankings right now, what do you see as we trend towards the home stretch of the college football season? I love that TCU is getting some respect and some love. Uh, it's it's good for a program like that to be recognized. Uh, going back kind of the early stage of this playoff system where they'd gotten up to five and in in the argument could be made they got left out so i i'm really happy that they are getting recognized for the great season that they've had i'm not sure that they'll be able to to go unblemished throughout the year um it's probably also no secret that the the committee would love to have uh powerhouse teams in there so they they want georgia they want ohio state they want michigan and they want either clemson or or tennessee they don't want tcu sniffing around there um even they'd they'd rather have oregon in there so if tcu can run the table they're going to be in the final four i just don't know that they will and and you watch what georgia did to tennessee the other day and it's like man could could anybody even try and keep up against Georgia. Um, and, and so those are the things that stood out to me. We're, we're clearly shaping up for a Michigan Ohio state showdown here to, to uh, kind of cap off the regular season, just like we had last year. That, that is the big thing for me is seeing TCU there getting to be in the group. Clemson losing was a big deal for them. I think it'd it'd be very impressed if TCU could run the table. I think that's the only shot the Big 12 has this year is them going undefeated. But then again, look who's waiting for them. This week, they have number 18, Texas, who has been quietly, which is weird to say for Texas, quietly cruising. And then so at Texas, at Baylor, and then they host Iowa State on Thanksgiving weekend, which typical Iowa State fashion, that would be when they get things right. And then you have to come back in the Big 12 championship game, which... Dare I say it would be a rematch with Texas. You watch more Big 12 football than I do, but Oklahoma's bad. The bloom is off the rose on Kansas. Oklahoma State has become terrible. So maybe between K-State and Texas is who we're looking at. So if you're the Big 12, you're cheering for TCU to go undefeated. But I think that's the big sign here is 
the committee, I think, is looking more fondly. I'll ask how you feel about this. Big 12, Pac-12, and ACC. So undefeated TCU is just two spots ahead of one loss, Oregon. Then you have one loss, USC, and then one loss, Clemson. So is you, if you're the committee, you're looking at Big 12, Pac-12, ACC, who's got the edge if they're all things equal, all one-loss champions. Then you're looking at how many how many ranked teams did you beat? Uh, the the good thing for Oregon is yeah they got uh, boat raced by Georgia. So does everybody else. So does Tennessee. The score isn't as this as the same as it was, but they still got housed. So if you're if you're the committee, you're wanting you're wanting Oregon to come out. Oregon's a good national brand, and and the Pac-12 has really done a nice job. There's three teams in the top 10. I think they're kind of doing that so that whichever team comes out with one loss of the PAC 12, they could say, Hey, look at, look at all these teams that had great seasons and to get TCU in there. It it almost be like last year, Cincinnati got a lot of run being a, uh, being an off brand. Um, we all knew they were going to lose, but still you get some more interest. So they're going to get some more interest if they can get a Pac-12 team in there, whether it's Oregon or USC and, and, and your team, UCLA, one of those three, just to get them talking. And so I think that's why they've they've bumped up TCU. Um, they're still letting Clemson hang around like they, they might have a chance if they were to 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 win out or the Pac-12. And, and so while we could think that they might just want Big Ten and SEC teams in there, they did do a lot to get uh to get the Big 12, the ACC, and the Pac-12 in there. But I'm I'm I guess to answer your question, I, I think the Pac-12 might come out of this with the the best chance to have a a three seed going into the playoffs to take on either Ohio State or Michigan. Yeah, if if you're the ACC, you don't feel good about this, I think, with as far down as Clemson dropped as a one-loss team. Now, none of us want this to happen, but you have a 7-2 and two LSU, and we'll get to them in a minute. But let's say they keep this going. Don't don't forget about Lane Kiffin there and Ole Miss still hanging around at 8-1. I think we can all say is rejoice across the land. Alabama's on the outside looking in. Tennessee, they're, I mean, if Georgia, as we assume, Georgia runs the table in the regular season, they would pres- presumably play LSU. LSU wins the SEC title. You'd have one loss Georgia, one loss Tennessee, two loss SEC champion LSU. Then what do you do? If you're the rest of college football, you have to be grimacing at that because then you have to also have to figure out, okay, we've got probably unbeaten Georgia, uh, Oregon, Ohio State, and Michigan winner, and then one lost Big Ten runner-up. If LSU wins the, the, the SEC they're in, uh, you can't leave out the SEC champ. A one-loss Georgia also gets in, so there's two teams, and then the winner, the Big Ten, makes it three. So if you're any other team, you do not want to see LSU uh, win the SEC or the outside chance that Ole Miss does. You you just don't want to see that um, because it does take away a bid. I think Georgia's probably penciled in, barring some collapse here, even if they did lose in the SEC title game there in the Final Four. So you certainly don't want LSU if you're a fan of any other team in the country. So if you're if you're a casual football fan, you're cheering for Georgia to crush people. The winner of Ohio State-Michigan to go undefeated. 
and then ideally TCU, Oregon, or USC to run the table. Yeah. Because yeah, none of us really want right. all those SEC teams. Yeah, the TV ratings may be great in the South, but if you're a fan anywhere else in the country, do you want to see three SEC teams in the playoff, or is that just going to completely turn you off no matter who the three are? As a casual fan doesn't want that, I don't think. Um, the The other thing would be like ESPN doesn't care what you and I think. What they care about is who's going to give them a lot of money to show these games. And so um, it really has to be a very clear difference in the the Pac-12 and Big 12 champion to that to that second or third SEC team. So you, you want representatives from all over the country in different conferences if you're a fan of sports. And, and if you're ESPN, you just want the best TV show. Now, one of the players who may be on that show, and I, I don't know if you're going to willingly eat crow on this, the LSU Tigers. I did not think they were going to be anywhere near this good. They kind of snuck up on people. You could argue that their schedule has been kind of bleh. They barely lost to Florida State opening week. Then they beat up on Southern University for whatever that's worth, New Mexico, Auburn, some of these lesser teams. Decent wins over Mississippi State, Florida. They got destroyed by Tennessee. So that's where you get into this weird thing where, well, Tennessee beat Alabama and Tennessee beat LSU, LSU beat Alabama. So you kind of have that round-robin situation there. But then beating number seven Ole Miss and number six Alabama in back-to-back weeks, and suddenly we have seven and two LSU as a player in this thing. The point I'm driving to is uh, your old pal Brian Kelly could be looking at somehow getting LSU into the playoff in his first season with the Bayou Bengals. I have no idea how much he sold his soul for, but yeah, you're on to something there. He's winning there. It's, it's a place that he came into with depleted talent and he's winning. Um, things looked really rocky. That Florida state game with their, their star receiver, whose name escapes me was, was cryptic on Twitter. And you're like, man, Jaden Daniels is, a terrific athlete, but is he toxic in the locker room? And now all of a sudden, whatever Brian Kelly did, he's got them humming in the right direction and playing some great football. Uh, Then you look at also Notre Dame, Notre Dame stumbled out of the gate and it's like, well, maybe Brian Kelly was a difference maker in that situation where, I mean, they're, they were losing to garbage teams and they've, they've got it turned around, but they didn't have him to start the season. And it's, and now LSU finally is playing well and they've kind of come to life. So there could be something to uh, his ability to, to make something out of some football. Well, his, his boys are going to be one of the few early games looking at this week's schedule, not the most elite college football Saturday, especially the early part of the day. LSU Arkansas could be sneaky. Good. Everybody was really high on Arkansas being basically what LSU is. So that may be your best early slate game, but I think the best part of the day, this is really a back loaded schedule for your afternoon and evening games. UCF and Tulane could be that uh, group of five team that gets into the New Year's six bowl game. Tulane quietly having a great season. So that's number 17 versus number 22, Nebraska, Michigan, which would have been a huge deal in about 1995. So you really got to get to the later in the day, 3.30 on the East Coast is your first kind of great game. Alabama, Ole Miss, Lane Kiffin versus Nick Saban. So this is really for the coaching matchup there. K-State and Baylor could be a nice game. Georgia and Ole, uh, Mississippi State, just because you get Mike Leach. 
And then Washington versus Oregon at night, North Carolina and Wake for a battle for two teams who could quietly be going after that ACC championship. And then I would say the biggest game of the week is TCU, Texas, number four, number 18. And then you get into your Pac-12 and your whack after dark after that. I would imagine the, the media wants Texas to beat TCU so they can talk about Texas winning the Big 12 and Texas is back. I hate that for us as fans of the Big 12 because you want TCU to run the table. Uh, one thing that I Kevin to pay off his mortgage last week by betting Texas and he didn't he was not willing to be debt free and and there's something about Texas they can play a better half of football than anybody and I don't know if that's because of Sark or in spite of Sark but I'm really nervous with you this weekend that is the big game Saturday night nervous about how they start their games because they take a little while to get going and Texas starts off really, really well in games. Um, so if if it's if it's twenty one to ten at the half, or even twenty eight to ten at the half, I don't see TCU coming out of that. I also love that you gave Tulane a, a shout out. Um, UCF is coached by Gus Malzahn. He wins wherever he goes. Uh, I would bet you Auburn wishes they had him back. Uh, Tulane maybe. Uh, Certainly top five sweetest uniforms in college football, having a great season. It would be really fun to get them some uh, New Year's Day, what, whatever those you mentioned the name of those games, but getting Tulane in there. So I'm going to cheer for Tulane just because they have sweet. I've not watched enough Tulane football. I need to check out these uniforms. But looking at Texas's schedule, it's so weird. They lost Alabama by one point, one of the best games of the year back in week two. Somehow lost to Texas Tech in overtime. So that's two losses by four points and lost to the now terrible Oklahoma State team a couple of weeks ago by seven. So that's three losses by combined 11 points. Were they were they just the flat out underdogs against K-State or did you just bet them to cover? I bet them, I, I should say, just the first half team total over um, because they score so many points in the first half a game. So that's... I should be more specific. It was it was just the first half to get more than the total, and I don't know what it was, but it, it was like 13 and a half or something first half. Um, so that's what I had in bet, and I don't even remember what the final was. Who needs $2 billion Powerball tickets when you have betting advice like this? If you, if you had $2 billion to bet last weekend, from winning the Powerball, you would have doubled it based on that advice. So you're right. I mean, just come. Is there here. a limit? I wonder if there's a limit on stuff like that that like Vegas sports books will not pay over a certain amount. Is there a max bet? There probably is a max bet. Uh, for those of you uh, that are going to look it up, Texas scored 31 points in the first half last weekend. Three in the second. Whereas TCU like doesn't play in the first half. TCU just waits till the second half and then plays. Yeah, that's what's that's what's scary about this game. TCU scored 13 points in the first half last week, 21 in the fourth quarter. Love it. So <laughs> that's a contrast of styles. And and so that's why I'm super nervous this week about TCU. I'm gonna cheer for them, but I'm really nervous when you get behind. 
if you get behind that early in a game by that much, and Texas is a good team, regardless of what you think of Steve Sarkeesian and his abilities, they're a talented team. And so I'm really nervous about TCU State. Not to get too far off that, but looking at all this Big 12 football got me thinking about how happy were we for the Kansas Jayhawks up through about the end of September. Started out the year 5-0. and and then they got uh, mostly close games, though, but lost to TCU, Oklahoma, and Baylor. And then, again, beat Oklahoma State since everybody's doing that now. The mighty Kansas Jayhawks are gone 1-3 and three since starting out 5-0. and oh. But still still 6-3 and three is a Herculean change if you're the Kansas Jayhawks. But I remember if, how pumped we, we were and now how, how quickly the, the shine came off that. Yeah, we're, we're certainly like... <laughs> we we just change with the tides in our fandom and what we cheer for. And we just wanted them to be nine and oh, and so they lose a couple games. So we jump off the bandwagon. They're going to go bowling. Their fans are excited. Their coach is probably leaving for a big payday and you can't blame him because heck, how often are you going to get Kansas to six wins? So yeah, I, I, I get where you're coming from though. Anything else we need to talk about on the football side before we jump over to wrestling? Oh, let's see here. Um, would now be a good time to talk about Oregon briefly, or did you want to save that for the close of the show? Uh, we can, we can keep it in here. Um, I've watched a lot of Oregon football this year. I think, I think the coaching is top notch. I think the defense is really there. Uh, this Bucky Covington or whatever his name is, the running back, it's really good. So I think they have a lot of good pieces, offensive line, uh, has a couple guys who are going to be in the pros defense has, I think three or four guys that are going to be drafted in the first 100 picks. So, you know, really a complete team coaching offensive line, defensive line, secondary weapons. You're, you're missing a really key component of the team in your breakdown there. Mm, I don't, I don't know that that's it. You ever seen Odson at night? It's beautiful. Beautiful. Nope. I believe it. I would imagine there's been some money poured into that facility. Uncle Phil. So, so this weekend, Darren, Washington goes to Oregon to play. It's going to be a night game ish. It'll at least finish in the dark. So, so Darren, let's, let's remind your listeners here that you, you voted already for Michael Penix to be the Heisman trophy winner. He's a quarterback at Washington and and I don't know how many interceptions he's thrown since then, but the other night I was watching and it looked like he was just handing it off to the other team, and I don't even know what happened in that game. Then on the other side, you have the quarterback of Bo Nix. He is third currently in the Heisman voting betting odds that you could get. Um, go back here into the the catalog that you keep online, and you can hear that he's one of the guys I said in August to keep your eye on. You mentioned the great coaching. He's in a great system. Uh, this will be a, a true test. Um, Oregon should win the game. They're going to need him to score like he has been. Um, you know, he's been lighting it up with multiple touchdown games every week, but they're going to need to score 42 for him to keep his name in the Heisman running. And, and I don't know that he wins. I just kind of like to have a little bit of fun with it, saying how he was going to have a big season and he's currently having a big season. So a, a talented football player who's being appreciated for what he is. Now, Michael Penix Jr. leads the nation in passing yards, 3,232 to Bo Nix's 30-something-ish, 2,495. 
22 touchdowns to five interceptions for Mr. Nix, 23 to five for Michael Penix. So, I mean, if I'm looking at the numbers on paper, clearly Michael Penix is a better player. Um, what are the team records? You don't need that for the Heisman. Ask Lamar Jackson. I would be kind of curious, though. Did they win nine games that year? Uh, the Affleck trivia question this week taught me that Lamar Jackson is the only player to win the Heisman whose team didn't make the playoff since they introduced the wow. CP whenever that was because he was putting up In, bonkers dual threat numbers. Yeah. He was he was insane in college. I know we're kind of getting off track here, but yeah, to no show question. what he was, he, he he was just he was amazing, and it would have been nice to at least given him a functional coach to be able to like play under. How he great Petrino? he could have been! He did have Petrino. It's too bad. Yeah. Now the 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 Washington Huskies are seven and two. So if they win, both teams will be eight and two. They lost to UCLA by eight, which is whatever, but losing to Arizona state and Arizona state's first game after they fired Herm, that was, that kind of did the Huskies in and now nobody has a lot of faith in them, but your, uh, your guy, Bo Nick. So I fully thought was going to get replaced in his job. Cause after watching him at Auburn, I was like, what are they doing? They basically got through the cupcake part of their schedule. Georgia, obviously monsters. BYU is not near as good as we expected. UCLA, very good. And they took that one. But this is the toughest part of Oregon's schedule. You get Washington, luckily at home. Utah, very much luckily at home. So I, th- I think we figured this out. They don't they don't leave the state of Oregon for the rest of the year because they finish at Oregon State. But still, your three toughest games, Washington, Utah, and at Oregon State in the can't call it the Civil War anymore. So if, if, if you're the Ducks, if you're Bo Nix, this is your time to have your Heisman moment. C.J. Stroud, I think, is still the leader, leader in the clubhouse right now. I still think Blake Corum should be in there. Caleb Williams is in there. I don't know if Hendon Hooker, if the shine is off him now, or if people are still going to give him a shot if Tennessee keeps rolling. But Bo Nix has probably played himself into that top six conversation for me. The other guy that I keep hearing about is Drake May, North Carolina QB, who's supposed to be really awesome, but I haven't seen him play at all. Yeah, he, I was just looking at this as well. His numbers are right up there, the top 10 and everything, and especially 31 touchdowns to three INTs. That's the most touchdowns in the nation, and Caleb Williams is the only one that has a better ratio. I just, I don't know that people are paying attention enough to North Carolina. I think they'd have to win the ACC and have some big moments here down the stretch. I don't know what he's got. What did North Carolina have for a schedule? And so they've, they've got Wake. So that could, that could be a big moment for him. Georgia Tech, you'd think it'd be easy. And then whatever they call the North Carolina NC State rivalry game on Thanksgiving. So very much they could run the table. They could be sitting there at 11 and one at the end of the year. And Drake May will be in that conversation. Want to talk about wrestlers? Yep, let's do it. So one of the things we like to do on the show every year is we kind of pick our your collegiate wrestling national champions who we think the favorites are. And then we come back at the end of the year when we get in the tournament and kind of see how our predictions actually panned out. And as I was preparing for this doing research, I was reminded that these guys have been in college forever. College wrestling, a little bit different than the NBA and football where guys leave early wrestlers will take their four years or get a red shirt and get a fifth year. Or if you're some of these guys, you take a year or two off and go do Olympic training but we're going to hear a lot of names that if you pay attention to college wrestling, you're going to feel like that guy's been around forever. There are a lot of those. And as I'm looking at this, I think 
earlier I figured out there's one, two, three, four, five, six, at least six national champions from last year back, plus random guys who were champions in previous years. We're going to start right there at 125 with the guy that I would argue is probably the best college wrestler on the planet right now. And that is Spencer Lee. I can let Shannon explain his odyssey. But uh, also I should point out the rankings that I'm using are from the lovely folks over at intermatwrestle.com. Intermat Wrestle has the kind of the best and they just updated their rankings this week. So at 125, Spencer Lee from Iowa, the umpteenth year seniors, number one, Pat Glory at Princeton, number two. Michael D'Augustino at Northwestern three, Patrick McKee from Minnesota at four, and Brandon Courtney from Arizona State is fifth. Spencer Lee has a goal to be the best, most dominant wrestler on the planet. And there's really nobody that's going to stop him. The only reason he got stopped last year is he had two torn ACLs, and it's really hard to wrestle without an ACL. And, and so he had two of them. He had to get them fixed. Uh, otherwise he was on his way to winning another national title. The only thing that'll stop him this year is injury. You watch him wrestle and and it's truly a masterpiece. Like if you could only watch one person wrestle, it's him just because he destroys everybody. He wrestles, he could, he could go through this entire ranking and in either tech fall or pin everybody. He's just that dominant. Uh, he's somebody to look for. Once the Olympics come around again, because he'll be healthy, he will have been done with college. This is his last go around. So I, I can't imagine that he's going to have a close match all season. Um, Patrick glory was, was the guy last year because Spencer Lee was hurt. And then uh, you mentioned some of those other ones. Brandon Courtney has had a really nice career. He's one of those guys that has been around forever and, uh, be kind of fun to see him also maybe get to the finals, but this is Spencer Lee's world. And we're. Just- so last year's champion, Nick Siriano from Michigan graduated. Pat glory took second Vito Arjau. I know I'm saying that name wrong. I believe he moved up to 133. Uh, that Michael D'Augustino got fourth. Patrick McKee was fifth and Brandon Courtney was sixth. So a lot of guys who were on the podium last year are back. I'm, I'm with you. I don't think anybody's really going to touch Spencer Lee, but I think, uh, Pat Glory will probably be your second place guy. And then if I had to go somewhere a little bit down the list, and this may be kind of a Homer pick and a guy that I really like for the name, but Kyson Tarakina out of Iowa state, he's 15th right now, just a sophomore. So a lot of room for him to grow, but he's a guy I would watch for to fight for a podium spot. And moving up to 133, we have another guy who feels like he's been around forever. RBY Roman Bravo young, the defending champion at 133. Uh, rank second right now, Dayton Fix. It feels like we've been talking about this forever. I don't know how Dayton Fix is only a junior, but RBY won, Dayton Fix two. They ha- that's how they finished last year. And then uh, Vito from Cornell, who I just mentioned, moved up. Michael McGee from Arizona State four, and Dylan is this Ragason from Michigan at five. Um, Austin DeSanto from Iowa graduated. Uh, kind of this this division cleared out a little bit more than most. I think a lot of these guys are gone or moved around, so a lot of new names here. At 133, except for those top two, it's, it feels like it's been this way for several years now, but I see it being RBY and Dayton Fix at the finish line. They'll have a rematch in the finals, barring injury. And, and the thing is, they're such different styles. So RBY is, is somebody that attacks. He wants to get a lot of points. And, and he goes about it in a way where he's rarely ever in a dangerous position. And Dayton Fix is a super defensive wrestler that he's never out of position. And he'll... 
Like if you look at his scores throughout the year, he might win some matches like four to two, four to three, two to one. And you're thinking, man, how's this guy number two? And he's has all these close matches. Well, he just, he, he really doesn't do much, but he never gives up anything. So contrasting styles and, and he's a really more international focused wrestler, um, took that year off for the Olympics. And now that's why he's only a junior. Uh, so, so they should have another rematch in the finals, but, but RBY, he's a really fun dude to watch wrestle as well. As you do go down the list there, um, one guy to just keep your eye on is Taylor Lamont out of Wisconsin. He's been around for a a long time. He's a senior. He's put in the work. Uh, he could sneak in to be an all American. And in that same vein, another guy, uh, Mickey Philippi out of Pitt is a senior, another guy who's been around five ever. He didn't, was not an all American last year. I'm trying to quick look up 2021 to see what he did. If I can get any information, but yeah, two, two seniors who feel like they've been around for quite a long time and may have semifinal runs in them. I'm with you. I don't think anybody gets past RBY and fixed for that championship slot. And 141, you may have to give me some education on this one because I was looking at 141 and I have no idea who these people are. The top ranked wrestler is Cole Matthews out of Pitt, another Pittsburgh guy, and he finished uh, fifth last year. But Nick Lee out of Penn State is not here anymore. Kazan Clark, who had a bit of a Cinderella run, the 15 seed getting second place last year. Sebastian Rivera was three, and Grant Willits was fourth. Uh, Real Woods got sixth, and Jake Berglund was seventh last year. So it's Matthews, Woods, and Berglund are one, two, and three. So you have uh, guys who are just on the just on the lower half of the podium. A lot of new names here that I'm not as familiar with. I don't know any. The only one I really know is Real Woods just because he's an Iowa guy. So what do we make of this kind of unknown 141 group? He transferred to Iowa from Stanford because he wanted to be a national champion. He felt like that was the best place for him. They had an opening, so they went after and got him. It is a wide open weight. Uh, we'll see a lot of fluctuation throughout the year here, and and we're certainly going to see some of those guys that are down down the ladder here work their way up with some big wins as we go into this season. Uh, but but Real Woods is probably in the best position due to where he trains. He's in that Iowa wrestling room, and and uh, you put him against Cole Matthews, and I'm going to take Real Woods every time just based on that training. Uh, you really like Alan Hart, though. He's a guy that's been around for a while, so so he could factor into all this. As a good wrestler, I mean, every great runs in a while, but but he should uh, he should have a nice season as well. Uh, wide open weight class, though, for sure. And I know nothing about any of these people. So I'm going to throw out the name Parker Phileas as a, he's a senior from Purdue. So experience on his side. So the 11th ranked guy right now, let's give him a shot at an all American this year. Go, yeah, go, go bigger, go home and uh, absolutely cheer for those guys. And now you're going to get into this next way here and talk about maybe why a lot of people are staying at 141. That was going to be my question to you. Is there anybody who's going to be looking at 149 and think, you know what? I'm close enough. Maybe I'll drop down to 141 when I see that wide open. This is Yanni Giacomahalis. If anybody is competing with Spencer Lee for the best wrestler in college, it's Yanni, another guy who's 
been around for feels like a decade took a I think it was a year or two off to do his Olympic training as well but he's a beast from Cornell was the champion last year and uh, defeated Ridge Lovett who had a little bit of a Cinderella run I don't believe uh, Lovett is there this year but you had Sammy Sasso who was the runner up two years ago Brock Mahler from Missouri at three Austin Gomez four and Jonathan Milliner at five uh, Max Murren down at seven Yaya Thomas at eight some of the more well-known guys Dom DeMoss from Cal Poly, another guy who's been around for years and years and years down there at 11. So some familiar names and faces, but again, it's, it's Yanni and I, who's going to touch him. I don't know that anybody will. He's one that we're going to see on the international scene as well, uh, competing for Olympic titles. And he is so fun to watch. Like Spencer is Spencer Lee is a hammer and just crushes people. And, and you watch him do it, and it's really fun. His technique is sound. Uh, Yanni is a little more free-flowing, and, and he's really fun to watch. So if you're trying to get somebody into wrestling, have them watch Yanni wrestle a couple matches and just be like, that's pretty cool stuff that he does. Sammy Sasso's a great wrestler. He's just not on that level of Yanni. And to look at what what that difference is between one and two is pretty incredible here at that weight class. And and anybody can lose in wrestling as Austin Gomes showed us the other day, he's the fourth ranked wrestler from Wisconsin and he got beat by somebody that's not ranked that hasn't wrestled in college before. So you, you really got to be ready to go when you step on that mat. Um, but I, I think that's why we see some people at 141 that maybe have a big cut and some guys going up to 157 is because it's, it's really difficult to imagine a finals that's not Yanni versus Sammy Sasso. And that's, this was kind of a weird division last year. The 10th and 11th seeded guys got second and third. And then you had just kind of a mishmash of Austin Gomez, Sammy Sasso, Tariq Wilson guys in there. So this, this is division that has a lot of wide open for that three, four, five slot. I'm going to stick with my guy, Yaya Thomas. He was a Cinderella story for me two years ago. Last year didn't get all American but I think he's going to be back in there again. Eighth right now, Max Murin, a guy who's been at Iowa. Just feels like he's kind of always been on the outside. Maybe as a senior, this is finally his time to be going for that third or fourth spot. But feels like Yanni and Sammy and the, the bronze medal is what's up for grabs. And going up to 157, another one that feels very wide open. Last year, your champion was Ryan Deacon. The runner-up, Quincy Monday, is the... Uh, number one ranked guy right now, David Carr, the champion from two years ago, got third last year and is now up at 165. So Quincy Monday is the leader to start the year, but I think you could see this going any number of ways. Brayton Lee out of Minnesota at two, Will Luan from Michigan at three, Peyton Robb from Nebraska at four, and Bryce Andonian from Virginia Tech at five. I believe Andonian uh, was the one. Yes, he got third last year at 149. So another guy who's bumped up. Uh, Austin O'Connor, familiar name down there at seven. Uh, otherwise, just kind of feels, I don't feel like Quincy Monday is, he's not a Spencer Lee or a Yanni where he's head and shoulders above the rest of the class. So you could go, I'd say seven deep on this weight and find a potential champion. I'm going to have you look up the uh, national tournament a couple years ago with Austin O'Connor and then you find out how he's placed at nationals. And I'm going to tell a story about Quincy Monday. So I do this thing with a, a group of people where you select, you draft a wrestler at each weight. And once a wrestler is gone, um, 
they can't be taken anymore. And last year it got to this weight and uh, Ryan Deacon was the pick for somebody. And I'm like, man, who can, who can I get that's off the board? And I went with Quincy Monday because I thought he would all American. And the guy just had a magical run through the national tournament. And you're thinking like, maybe who, who's that? Well, his dad, his dad was an Olympic gold medal winner, late eighties or early nineties. One of those uh, Kenny Monday, he was the Olympian. And so he has that pedigree, the background of wrestling, had an awesome season. And Princeton is an up-and-coming program. They've done a really nice job. And so I I am a little, um, I'm biased towards Quincy Monday because I picked him for that competition. So I'm going to stick with him. And uh, you you had mentioned some of the other names in there. What what did you discover about Austin O'Connor's history? So according to the Wikipedias, in 2019, he got third at 149. We had no wrestling championship in 2020. In 2021, Austin O'Connor was the champion at 149. Last year, Austin O'Connor got eighth at 157, and he is back again this year, currently ranked seventh at 157. So whatever I was supposed to yes. learn from all that. Yep. So the the point being is, is now we have a national champ that's ranked seventh. Um, he does have an injury history. And, and so that's what's knocking him down there. But it goes to show like how good college wrestling is to have somebody with that pedigree, that that background down at seven. Uh, going all the way down the ladder here, I, I'm not going to count out some of these seniors that we see that are ranked. Uh, one example being, oh, I just lost his name. Oh, Derek Holschlag, you and I wrestler. He's had a nice career. I don't think he all Americans, but who's to say he can't knock off somebody as we go through the season. And so uh, to your point, it's, it's certainly not something where you're going to write Quincy Monday's name in pen and call him good for a national champion. Uh, We could have four or five different guys here that could come out on top. So another fun way to watch play out. Do we know if Luca Wick at Cal Poly is younger brother to former number one ranked Evan Wick from Cal Poly got third last year at 165. There's a Luca Wick way down the board at 157. It would make sense. I don't know that to be true, but it certainly could be. So if I had to look at this group right now, I'd say Peyton Robb is probably my guy, just a junior from Nebraska had a good tournament last year was the got seated 10th, but ended up wrestling his way to fourth. So he'd be my guy right here. in what I think is a wide open class. But I want to talk a little bit about 165, and that may impact. I do wonder, will somebody want to drop to 157? Because I think 65 is loaded. We'll move. I, I would probably argue the toughest, at least at the top. You have the defending champion sophomore, Keegan O'Toole out of Missouri. Former champion Shane Griffith at Stanford at second. David Carr, former champion at 157 from Iowa State, and then Cameron Amin of the never-ending Amin family, Dean Hamidi from Wisconsin, Carson Karchla, another sophomore from Ohio State who is highly touted, and Peyton Hall from West Virginia down at seven. I don't know about one through 30, but those top seven or eight guys, so you have two, uh, three former champions there at the top. Uh, Amin was an All-American last year. Hamidi and Karchla were, so one, two, three, four five, six returning All-Americans at this class uh, here, and then you throw in David Carr on top of that. Certainly the uh, the way to watch uh, a ton of good wrestlers, as you've already laid out. Uh, Dean Hamidi 
if you're going to watch him wrestle or you're wrestling him, put on your seatbelt because you're going for a ride. He is one fun dude to watch. What I liked about him as a freshman is he did not care. Like, uh, I don't care who you are. I don't care where you've been or what you've done. I'm going to come out and I'm going to go crazy on you and I'm going to get three takedowns and then you got to try to catch up. Like he is a dude. Um, as, as the guys, uh, uh, Pat McAfee show, they're always like dog. He's got the dog. They're always doing that stupid thing, which kind of makes me laugh. Uh, Dean Hamidi is that guy. And then you look at Carson Karchlud. He's like all smooth and prim and proper and just two completely different styles. Either one of those guys could win the whole stinking thing. Uh, the one, uh, you go up to the camera and I mean, those guys are, they're kind of snake bitten. Like they get so close all the time, but they never can finish it. And then the three national champs at the top of that weight class. So, I mean, there's six dudes there that can wrestle a really fun national tournament coming ahead for those guys. But just keep an eye on this weight class as we go throughout the year. Uh, Patrick Kennedy for Iowa. He's going to beat somebody that he's not supposed to beat because that's what they do. Um, Penn State has a freshman, which you never know coming out of that room. Is that guy going to compete for, you know, top, top five at, at national. So uh, he'd be the one that I would be watching on as a freshman, Alex Facundo from Penn State. Yeah. A a Penn State guy, you're never going to count out. They just reload, reload, reload every year. I just, Oh, legend Lammer. I can't, I almost forgot legend Lammer down there. I, I just wonder, is somebody going to look at this? And I mean, David Carr is the obvious one because the rest of these guys have been at 157 longer, but he was champion at one, or they've been at 165. He was the champion at 157, then got third last year. I'm trying to figure out, he's a three time Big 12 champion. I need to learn more about him. But I just wonder if he's going to look at this and think, you know what? I can take 157 again, but maybe that feels a little bit crazy to just jump up to 165 and drop right back down. Keegan O'Toole looks huge for 165. I don't think he's going anywhere. So do we actually get he's, a formal? He's a stud. You uh, you come into college wrestling at a, a middle weight as a freshman and win the whole stinking thing. Like you're you're a freaking right. dude. And what the guy you beat say the guy you beat is the defending champion. Right. I was gonna I was gonna ask if we actually formally got a champion pick from you at 165. Oh man. It's a dart throw, so take that for what it's worth. I'll say Shane Griffith gets back on top. And I'll I'll go with the pride of Iowa State. I think David Carr reclaims. I'm going to count it as one of those things where the guy's cutting less weight so he feels healthier and stronger. I think you're, I think you're down to Carr and O'Toole in the championship and probably Griffith and Karchla is your third, fourth match. Moving on up to 174, we get another one of those Penn State champions. This happened a lot last year. 74, 84, 97 were all Penn State champions as Penn State had five champions last year and cruised to the title. Carter Starochi, just a sophomore for them at number one. Makai Lewis is second from Virginia Tech. He won a national championship in like 2012 or something. Mikey Labriola from Nebraska is at three. Dustin Plott from Oklahoma State at four. Clay Lout from North Carolina at five. Uh, trying to look further down the list, Peyton Mako at 10, Cade DeVos at 12, familiar name for I, uh, Iowa people. Nelson Brands, son of the coach Terry Brands, down there at 15. Uh, I kind of feels like Starochi and Makai Lewis, but a lot of names in this one that I'm not quite as familiar with. 
Carter Sirochi is one of those Penn State guys that just wins all the time. And and uh, you go back to kind of when Kale was getting his run started as the coach, he had a lot of guys like Carter Sirochi that would just come in and, and they'd get better every single time they're on the mat. And by the end of the year, they'd beaten you know everybody else and, and were just great. Um, he's another one of those. Um, Makai Lewis has been in college forever. Uh, it was seriously like 2018 when he won a national title. How he's a junior, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, 2019. Um, he, sure 2019, he won 165. Okay, there you go. That's four years ago, and he's a junior. I don't. I'm not a mathematician, <laughs> but something's not adding up there. No, he had an injury situation. Um, yeah, kind of a wide open weight though after Strachi because you don't know with Makai Lewis or Mikey Labriola. Mikey Labriola very well could like he could go in the Big Ten title match and take Strachi into overtime, and then he could go to nationals and lose like a pigtail or something stupid like that. Like you just never know what you're going to get with Mikey. I mean, he should be in the finals, but he's never proven that ability to be there. Uh, and then going down a little bit. That um, I, I like that you mentioned Cade DeVos. He's had a really nice college career. It'd be fun to see him all American. Um, but uh, I'm picking. We got to get you to stop hitting your mute button so fast. You said I'm picking, and then you went silent. Oh, I, I, I I'm in Iowa. The internet kind of, you know, the, still using dialogue on that. So, cart. Carter Starachi, national champion. And I, and I should have also clarified, he is a two-time champion. He won in 2021 and 2022. So Starachi is your odds-on favorite. Makai Lewis, again, won way back in the day. He was the eight seed, so a bit of a Cinderella pick. Mikey Labriola, in, uh, no, in 2021, he finished third, and then last year finished seventh. So you do have some guys who are back here. Starachi and Makai Lewis going to be the headliners. No more Hayden Hidley for me to pick. Only one Hidley brother for me to pick, and that's... Still coming, but yeah, Dustin Plott, Mikey Labriola, and Clay Lout were all All-Americans last year, so they're going to be back here in the mix. I, I hate to pick Penn State guys, but I think Starachi is going to join their three-timers club this year, and again, somehow still only a sophomore. Moving on up, and another Penn State guy, 184, a defending champion, Aaron Brooks, another two-time champion, 2021 and 2022, going for the three-peat here. But I think he's got a little bit tougher road. I'm going to butcher this guy's name. I do it every time. Glad to see him up here, though. Out of northern Iowa. Parker Kekkeisen. Kekkeisen. There you go. Kekkeisen. He got third two years in a row. So back here trying to take a 184 is UNI's best spot. They had Drew Foster a couple of years ago. And then there's my other Hidley brother, Trent Hidley out of NC State at three. Caleb Romero out of Ohio State at four. And Marcus Coleman from Iowa State at five. Uh, Abe Assad from Iowa, another guy who's been around for a long time. It feels like he's down there at 10. One of your guys, but he's at Michigan, Matt Feinsilver. How's there, how's there a Feinsilver at Michigan? I think he was expelled from Duke for shotgunning a light beer and not a <laughs> seltzer. Spoken by the seltzer king. So you've got... I think you have your top three of Brooks, Hidley, and Kekkeisen. 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 But a few other good names in there. So what are we going to see at 184? Write it down. Get, I'm going to give you a minute here to get your pen and, and sticky note. Hunter, Bolin, Virginia Tech. Watch him make a run at the national tournament. 
Nobody's beating Aaron Brooks, but watch Hunter Bolin have a great national tournament. Interesting. Guy who was not even on the board last year. Brooks won it. Miles Amin from Michigan finally has graduated. Bernie Truex, I think, moved up. But Trent Hidley, Caleb Romero, Marcus Coleman, and Jonathan Lowe all back after All-Americaning last year. Hunter Bolin behind them all right now. He is a senior. One of the few seniors in this crop. Just just for the sake of uh, not picking a Penn State three-peater again, I'm going to go with our, our boy Parker from Northern Iowa. Get the small school love. And we're up to 197. Oh, hey, it's a Penn State guy again. Max Dean going for the back-to-back here. Jacob Warner, a guy at Iowa, feels like it's maybe finally his time. Those two would probably wrestle a handful of times this year. Stephen Buchanan from Wyoming, interestingly, at three. Rocky Elam, the wonderfully named Rocky Elam from Missouri at four. Bernie Truax from Cal Poly moves up here to five. And another one of my favorite Iowa State name guys, Younger Bastida, the um, sixth-ranked guy right now. So Max Dean was the champion. Jacob Warner was the runner-up last year. Buchanan was third. Elam was fourth. Bastida was fifth. So a lot of the same names here are coming right back. Uh, I have to look to see where these other three guys ranked, but we have a little bit better race here with Max Dean than we do the other guys. Yeah, we certainly do, and and he's great, but so are them other guys. And and Jacob Warner turned it on at the national tournament. He he had really not done much all year, and then he said it was go time, and he went, and that was pretty cool to watch. Uh, we've talked about some fun wrestlers to watch. I'm adding Stephen Buchanan to that list. Uh, headlocks, uh, full body throws as far as like underhooks and just launching people. Uh, he's a thrower, and so he's really fun to watch wrestle. And and then same with with Bastida as far as he really doesn't care who the guy is. He's going to go out and attack and had a really good season. Um, there are some names of the guys that have been here for quite a while. Um, Nino Bonacorsi from Pitt. You mentioned Bernie Truax. I, I think he actually maybe bumped up, if I'm not mistaken, on that. Uh, you get up into these big weights. Go ahead. What are you going to share about? No, as you said, Truex, Truex got yeah. fourth at 84 last year. Okay. Yep. So he, and he Nino was the runner-up in 2021. There we go. See, um, the one that has has shockingly done nothing, and I wanted him to for like five years, is Cordell Norfleet from Arizona State. Like he was this dynamite recruit. He was going to turn that program around a few years ago, and he really has not done a lot. And I thought he would. So uh, maybe he gets it all together this year. He's he's another one of those names. I feel like I've seen a lot. And my quick scrambling here on Wikipedia does not give me all Americans beyond 2022, but he has not been in the top three at all. in in the last three tournaments, this may finally be his time to put it all together. Louis Dupre is another guy in there who I just remember the name. It's fun out of, out of Binghamton. So not a big name guy, but I think I'm going to, I think Jacob Warner gets it done. I don't know that I've picked, well, I guess Spencer Lee would be the only other Iowa guy. I think Jacob Warner would be my only other champion for the sake of not constantly picking Penn state guys. Give me Jacob Warner to sneak in and steal 197. I like that bold pick. He's got a chance. I mean, it's, that's why they wrestle the matches. Right. And, and Max Dean is not a dominant force. like 
RBY or Aaron Brooks or Starachi. I mean, he's great, but he's not overpowering like any of those other ones, just head and shoulders. Moving on to heavyweight. Now, before we get into this, because he's not currently ranked, but Gable Stevenson can come back, correct? Doesn't he technically still have eligibility? Yes, he does have eligibility remaining. Because he was, for the last couple of years, basically of the 2020s, he has been college wrestling along with Spencer Lee, but the size difference and being an Olympic champion while in college has made Gable Stevenson a bit of a mythical figure. He's not currently ranked, but if he comes back, he's automatically the favorite. I don't even see a Minnesota heavyweight here in the top 30. But this is Colton Schultz, who was the runner-up last year. Greg Kirkfleet out of Penn State is second. Mason Paris third, Tony Cassiope fourth. Those guys have been in college, more of that forever club. Uh, I apologize to the fifth-ranked guy out of Harvard, Yaroslav Slavikoski, or something close to that, hopefully. Uh, Lucas Davison out of Northwestern at six, and then Tate Orndorff, Ohio State, down at seven. I feel like we don't know quite as much about these heavyweights because it's just we just pencil in Gable Stevenson for a couple of years. Maybe Paris and Cassiopeix, they've been around for a minute. I think Mason Paris will do it. He'd be my pick this year, but I, I don't say that with a whole lot of confidence. He was the runner-up two years ago to uh, Gable Stevenson. I'm going to talk about two different guys here. The first one being Wyatt Hendrickson out of the Air Force, a really solid wrestler. He just doesn't see the competition all year that those Big Ten guys see. I mean, they're they're beating the heck out of each other all year long. You even look at like Trent Hilger. He's maybe the sixth best wrestler in his conference and the 10th best wrestler in the nation. So these Big Ten guys just pound on each other. So Wyatt Hendrickson out of the Air Force is a great wrestler. And and Greg Kirkvliet, if you have not seen him, you need to watch him wrestle. Um, he is built for a heavyweight. Um, I, I'm a little shocked that Colton Schultz is ranked number one going into the year over Kirkvliet. But uh, who am I besides a couch fan? So Greg Kirk, Kirkfleet is my pick for the national. Probably a pretty safe bet. How did Kirkfleet do last year? Where was he? So he got fourth last year. But it's he and Schultz are the, the two top place winners back. Um, if I had to go with somebody a little bit deeper in the stack, I, Trent Hilger is a guy, another senior. I don't know that he's ever placed all that high, but those seniors, you kind of saw it last year with Jordan Wood at this weight out of Lehigh, got third. So some of these veterans, especially at heavyweight, I feel like when they really mature and put it all together. Uh, team race, I feel like this is very much Penn State far away. I don't know that we had multiple champions from any school other than Penn State. The current ranking, tournament rankings from Intermat, Penn State won, and then a big gap down to Iowa, and then about another cut to Ohio State, Missouri, Arizona State. Michigan, Cornell, Minnesota, Northwestern, and Iowa State. Oklahoma State all the way down to 11. Something's going on with that Cowboy program. Should we just just assume Penn State's going to win this year, barring about seven major injuries? Yeah, it's safe to it's safe to say they're going to win. It's just a matter of by how much. Next, I think you. What did we say? They return Max Dean, Aaron Brooks, Starachi. That's three champions. RBY. That's four champions. They have back uh, Kirk Fleet, another legitimate contender. That could be five. Um, yeah. No, Penn State is back. We kind of thought the Iowa Hawkeyes last year were going to be the ones to knock them off, and did not happen. I think Penn State's going to be there yet if, again. If if you remember the national tournament at all, like Iowa was thinking, let's go back a year ago. 
they were thinking that that Spencer at 125 and DeSanto at 33 and Ironman at 41, they could have like they were thinking they could have three national champs right there. Um, sprinkle in Jacob Warner, what he did, and then Cassiope, and and none of those things really came to fruition. It was Jacob Warner, and and, and that was kind of it. And so um, Iowa was looking at it last year with those three hammers at their first three weights, and it just didn't work out that way. Um, Ironman got hurt. Oh, Marinelli was another one. They were counting on Marinelli. That was four champs they're counting on there, and it just didn't work out that way for them last year. And so now they're they're kind of back to square one with one champ and, and potentially a sec. So I'm trying to look at this very, very quickly and trusting that Wikipedia is right. From 25 through 57, DeSanto was the only guy to All-American, and he got third. Marinelli finished fifth at 165. Kemmerer at 174. Uh, and then, like you mentioned, Jacob Warner and Cassie Opie. So Warner got second, and Marinelli, uh, DeSanto got third. Those are their top two finishers. Which, Yeah, they, they – I mean, they – they just didn't perform at the national tournament and there could be a million reasons as to why, but they just didn't do it. But they'll, they'll have a shot here. They have plenty of contenders, you know, go up and down this lineup. And now that you have Spencer back leading the way, it could be a whole different mindset for this wrestling program. Uh, anything else wrestling wise we need to get to for our preview? Not right now. So, sorry, college basketball fans. We'll get to that one of these weeks. I know the season has kind of started, but we can look at the major conferences and the top teams and some of the players to watch. We'll do that in a couple of weeks. But we crowned two champions this weekend. Uh, unfortunately, one of them is the Houston Astros. Less said about that, the better. It's impressive what they're doing, but you always have to ask questions with them, and they are America's great nemesis right now in the sports world. But I think somebody more likable won the NASCAR championship, and that is why Shannon is here to give us the rundown. What happened at Phoenix to crown NASCAR's champion of the 2022 season? We had our final four drivers show up for the race. It was uh, Ross Chastain, Chase Elliott, Joey Logano, and, man, who's the fourth one, Darren? Name escapes me. Chastain, Elliott... Uh, Logano and was it Hamlin? No, doesn't matter. No, it was. Uh, I mean, that we've, Bell. we've Christopher Bell. There you go. Yeah, Christopher Bell snuck his way in. That's right. That's why it didn't matter. So anyway, <laughs> pretty cool race to start. Uh, um, because it it almost looked like Ryan Blaney was going to win the thing and and had a good run at it. Um, but but only of those four drivers, no matter who won the race, only those four could have been crowned the champ. And it was whoever placed highest in that race. Um, there was a restart about halfway, a little past halfway through the race where uh, Chase Elliott dove down into corner one and Chastain was coming down into corner one and they bumped. I don't necessarily blame Chastain or Elliot. It just kind of one of those things that happened and it ended up wrecking Elliot and he went two laps down. So like you're out, you're two laps down. You're not going to win. And so now we're down to Christopher Bell and Logano and Chastain racing for it. Um, Christopher Bell was kind of running 10th the whole day. And then Chastain and Logano were always in the top five. Um, it got near the end of the race. We had a caution with, with maybe 30 laps to go. So everybody got new tires full on gas. So it was just a race to the finish. Um, 
we, we got near the end and, and Logano was leading and his teammate Ryan Blaney was second and Ross Chastain was third. So then you're getting to like five laps to go and you're thinking Ryan Blaney is going to do everything he can block Chastain. Well, Chastain never got close enough. Like he could never close the gap to make a run for the title. And so Joey Logano ends up winning the race, winning the title. Um, he's the NASCAR champion. Um, and, and for those keeping track, um, we do a, a pick them every year where you select like, who's going to have the best season. You get to pick four drivers. Joey Logano was my first pick. Um, and, and I'm not a huge Joey Logano fan, but I figured he would have a good season and give me the best chance to win based on who is on the board. Um, he has become more likable in the last five years. Uh, he's not as, as arrogant as he used to be. He was very humble in victory and, and was able to celebrate that with his family. And so Joey Logano is now a two-time NASCAR champion and, uh, really did a nice job of, of representing his team and his family and celebrating it. And so a, a pretty cool race uh, to end our NASCAR season. <laughs> I thought about that after I said it, I'm like, not the Astros. I'm like, Oh crap. Maybe Joey Logano is kind of the Astros of NASCAR, but I have to think on that. Who is the, who's the most hated guy in NASCAR right now? There's, there's always somebody It was Jeff Gordon for a long time. Logano has been high on that list. And I, I like him a lot more than you do, but I feel like you're going to say Kyle Busch is the Houston Astros of NASCAR. That's exactly. I mean, that's, that's the only answer. It's how old you may just know this. Cause you watch so much. How old do you think Joey Logano is? I think he's 33. He is 32, which is bananas. Cause he started racing in 2008. He kind of did a, a trial run with Joe Gibbs racing towards the end of the season there. They got him in a couple of rides. He was with Joe Gibbs racing for, for four years. And then I think they cut him. I was reading something. He got fired by them, but he never did better than 16th in points. He's been with Penske since 2013 and he's finished in the top 10 all but one season. I don't know what happened in 2017 that he was so bad, but I feel like we never talk about this of, Oh, Logano's quietly really, really consistent since guys like Earnhardt Jr., Jeff Gordon, Jimmy Johnson, Tony Stewart have all retired. Logano's maybe been the best guy. Chase Elliott's getting up there, but he's quite a bit younger. Kevin Harvick's up and down. Truex is up and down. Kyle Busch is, he's mostly in there, but somewhat up and down. Denny Hamlin's never been a champion. So you're kind of looking around and all of a sudden, oh, the two championships, Joey Logano's maybe the best NASCAR driver of at least the last five years and pushing the last decade. Looking at when he came up with Gibbs, Gibbs was not the team then they are now. And they, they couldn't they couldn't put together three or four cars that were top notch. So I think it was basically Kyle Bush gets everything and the rest of the guys get the leftovers. And now that's not the case anymore. They all have the same stuff and it's great. So Logano never had the best equipment. He goes to Penske and now he does have the best equipment every week. Same with Ryan Blaney. Like all these guys, they have the best equipment because they can afford it. But I I'm I'm guessing that's why it was he he never made it with Gibbs. Um, he probably also had to learn a little bit about how, how to drive. And, and so think about that, Darren, you and him, uh, you, you probably could barely drive 55 on a highway and he's going 200 at Daytona in an NASCAR. Right. right. So very impressive. I also, I, I'm trying to think of, of who else is like, who's just a, who gets cheered every time they get wrecked. Or who boos somebody that they win, and and 
I just keep coming back to Kyle Busch. I would, I, I would say it's him and Harvick who are ironically right. two of my favorites. So are people kind of overhating Harvick? Is he just not relevant enough anymore? Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. So looking at guys who, get, who finished high in the, a lot of top fives this year, Ross Chastain seems to be kind of a lovable underdog. Kyle Larson, I, I get not everybody liking him, but among NASCAR circles, do people really hate Kyle Larson? No, they they respect the heck out of him because he could drive anything and drive it better than anyone. Christopher Bell and Ryan Blaney, I don't think are big enough deals. Chase Elliott so, is everybody's golden boy. Um, Lagan, is Hamlin, where's Hamlin rank among the, the general NASCAR that's a populace? Good, yeah, uh, he would certainly give credence to that um, because he's kind of a tool. He thinks he's pretty special if you just ask him. So he might give Kyle Busch a run for his money in that department. Yeah, I feel like there's so many young guys we don't know all that well. Chase Briscoe, Daniel Suarez, William Byron, Alex Bowman, Eric Jones. A lot of these guys are like, have they been around long enough to breed the kind of contempt that the Bush brothers or Kevin Harvick do? I want to throw out one name. Austin Dillon. I wondered if you might go there. Because he he hasn't really win. Like, I don't know if he's that relevant enough, but I feel like he was anointed that the number three was retired. But because it's grandpa's car, Austin Dillon got to be put in the number three, which to NASCAR fans is like, you have to be as good as Dale, if not better. So I, it's kind of, I you're more tuned in with NASCAR fans than I am. I don't know how the, the fans perceived Austin Dillon at this stage. If he would actually like do something, they might dislike him a little more than they do. So he's a perfect definition of he, he was born on third base, but thought he hit a triple type of a person. Um, like he puts on this cowboy hat and acts all country. And it's like, come on, dude, just you you've been given this race car and it's a good team. Go drive it. So yeah. Uh, I, I have a heck of a lot more respect for his brother, Ty, than I do him. So, um, yeah, I, when you were thinking of a name, I was like, I bet you he's going to say Austin Dillon because he kind of lingers in that category of just not very likable. Do you want to finish this thing with a NASCAR based trivia game? Yeah, let's have some fun. I am ripping this idea off from a YouTube video I watched today on a different subject. I'm going to apply it to NASCAR here. Let's see how far back you can go naming the NASCAR champions in reverse chronological order. So starting with this year's champion, how many years in a row can you do before you, we can do it one or they were, they were doing three strikes, but we can do it. We can do one or three. Man, man, I'm, I'm going to try. I don't know if I can get more than, I don't even know if I can get to five years, but I'm willing to try. Okay. So Logano now Kyle Larson. Yep. Last year, Chase Elliott. It. Correct. 2020 Chase Elliott. Um, let's see. How about Kevin Harvick? Incorrect. That's strike one. Hmm. So we're in 2019. Um, Kyle Bush. There you go. Kyle Bush got his second one in 2019. Okay. 18, Joey Logano. There you go. Uh, before that, how about Kevin Harvick there? Incorrect. Ooh, is that my second strike? It is. Okay. Um, I, I will say not, there's nobody on here. There's no like Alan Cole wikis on this list, unless you wanted to get back that far. But I would say this guy is probably the least big name racer on this list. 
Ooh, okay. Which NASCAR fans 26. know him, but but he's he's not Dale Earnhardt name recognition wise. I'm really struggling because like my my brain goes to people like Kurt Busch and Matt Kenseth, but they were like 20 years ago now. Like, so somebody, somebody that's not as famous as the rest of them. Weird for me to think that it was already five years, six years since he won. Brad Keselowski. Incorrect. Who do you got there? This is a guy who I would probably say ranks very high on the NASCAR fandom likability list, unless something has changed that I didn't know about. He was kind of like the master of the Bush series for a long time. He may have driven the Bass Pro Shop car for a long time. Oh, Truex. Martin Truex Jr. Nice. Yeah, I forgot he won one. I was so happy he did. Just, Good just, for, just for funsies, let's see if you can get at least back to 2010. Uh uh, Harvick, Harvick has to be in there at some point. Harvick got his in 2014, so there's two between okay, Harvick okay. and Truex that couldn't be more. Okay, obvious. Kyle Busch. Kyle Busch got it in 15. Okay, and, and so now we're at 16. Yep. Okay. Uh, um, Jimmy Johnson. There you go. Got his last one in 2016. You got Kyle Busch 15, Harvick 14. So we're up to 2013. 13. How about another Jimmy Johnson one there? Also Jimmy Johnson. So you're up to 12. Okay. Yep. Um, I've got to run out of Jimmy Johnson ones at some point, but let's try him again. Incorrect. So I will say, so Jimmy Johnson got his first five. He was five in a row from 26 to 2010, and then added 2013 oh, okay. and 2016. So you've got 11 okay. and 12 are different guys. 11 again, and 12. Still, still well-known big name guys. Sure. Um, would Kurt Busch be one of those? Incorrect. To to save us on this, Kurt Busch was all the way back in 2004, which feels crazy now. Um, yeah. But I always remember 2012 because it's easy for me because there's two, there's two number twos in the year. That does nothing for me. The clue being who drove number two. Rusty. Wallace. <laughs> well, what? Uh, let's see. So, Brad Keselowski. There you go. His one. His feels weird. He only has one. His one championship was in 2012. And then to finish this this game and episode off, your 2011 NASCAR champion was. That's the year I got married. By the way. Um, God, who's? If you remember good. that better than you remember this. Yeah, I will say this guy's. A Can multi- I have a hint before you give me the answer? He's a multi-time champion, and. Uh, I don't know how to do this without giving it away. He won his championships while driving different number cars. I don't know if that helps or hurts. Huh. Let me, let, let's try this. Um, what have it been? Carl Edwards. Incorrect. Carl Edwards was never a champion, which I'm remembering while I'm looking at a list in front of me. Okay. Um, I'm trying to think back man that's it, it's not that long ago but it seems like that long ago and and who would have been good Hendrix, multi-time champion but won championships with different car numbers um and is not jimmy johnson yeah matt kenseth got his in 2003 kurt bush was 2004 you already got jimmy that's johnson. when roush 
That's when Jack Roush was putting money into cars because he went back to back then with champions. Um, man, I don't know, Darren. I don't even have a guess. What if I told you he drove the number 14 to a championship? Tony Stewart. Smoke. Tony Stewart got his third of three championships in 2011. What number did he drive for the first two titles? 20. 20. I saw a lady once with a Tony Stewart 20, 20. like Home Depot car tattoo, and I didn't think that was going to age very well. Duh. And look at you now. <laughs> Wishing you had the same one. Right. I just totally forgot about him. You could have given me 50 guesses, and I went to said Tony Stewart. I don't know why. He had a good career. Three times. I'm trying to think. He's one, two, three, four. He's in. He's in the top eight in champ. A bunch of guys have three championships, but if you, in on, in one way, he is the fifth most championships of all time. If you want to consider all those guys tied, that's crazy. All right. Well, anything else from you? Otherwise, that's going to be our show for this week. Got got to some really fun things that we don't always talk about. We'll bring back Andrew next week to talk about basketball, NFL, and see what kind of chaos college football gave us. But anything else on this week's show? Cheer for Bo Knicks. Bet the Texas over in the first half. And the TCU over in the second half? Yes, please. Good parlay. Oh, forgot to mention there is a huge UFC card this weekend. I don't have it in front of me enough to give bets, but fantastic card. Find somewhere to watch it on Saturday evening. Uh, should be a great show. And with that, we thank you all for joining us on this week's episode. We'll see you next week here on Sports Gospel. Sports Gospel.